Hey guys, before we start the podcast, I actually was way more impressed by this conversation about Kickstarter than I thought I was going to be. So at the end of the podcast, I actually convinced Vance to put together a special workshop just for you guys about Kickstarter launches for Amazon sellers. So stay tuned to the end of the podcast if you want to join that. It's just going to be a one-time thing. This is Actualize Freedom, a straight talk on growing clicks and conversions on Amazon FBA from people doing it every day. Now here's your host, digital marketing acrobat, Danny Kenji Carlson. What's up, guys? Danny Carlson here with the Actualize Freedom podcast, and today's episode is going to be all about using crowdfunding to launch products on e-commerce and today we have on my friend vance so he's an e-com entrepreneur with 13 years background as a brand growth and marketing strategist and he actually started in amazon fba himself in 2015 and he since mastered crowdfunding to pre-order especially as a launch strategy and that's going to be really useful for people who are launching new unique products here his experience, he's raised over $7 million in successful launches, and he's broke records with two of his launches as the number one most funded in their niches and ranking in the top 1% of crowdfunding projects of all time. So he's a good guy to listen to. Originally from Canada, just like myself, and I actually met him here when he was living in Bali, and then currently living over in Mexico. So he's a bit of a digital nomad, so to speak. So my pleasure to welcome to the podcast, Vance Lee. How you doing, man? Doing great, man. Thank you for having me. Really excited to be here. Let's uh, let's jam. Yeah, man. Um, I always like to start with a little bit of your background in e-commerce. Like, how did you really get started into this whole crowdfunding thing that you've you've really dove into here? Yeah. So, I mean, I started in e-commerce back in 2011. Uh, back then, I didn't really know it was e-commerce at, at the time. So, I, I started working for this company. Um, that was the equivalent of, um, so you're from Canada. I don't know if you ever heard of this company called TeamBuy. They're like the Groupon, it's like a Groupon equivalent for, for Canada. And uh, did you hear about this company? I, I remember them vaguely. I don't think they're so relevant now, are <laughs> okay. they, right? It was kind of back no, in the day. I, I, they're pretty much irrelevant now. But back then they were doing like these daily deals, kind of like similar to Groupon where they sell like, uh, like gym memberships, like spas, that type of thing, and like restaurant vouchers. And at some point, somebody figured out, hey, why don't we start selling like products? Because people, we have an audience, let's start selling products to them. So um, I went from like selling like local daily deals to, um, to leading this like products division for, for this company and, uh, and started selling just kind of like, sometimes they were good products, but often they were just kind of like crappy products that were being sourced from, from, from Asia and from China and like these in between like sourcing agents that were presenting like hundreds of products. So we started selling that and uh, really kind of did well with that. That went up to like, like almost like $2 million a month. It was like really crazy. And back then I didn't really see e-commerce as the way that we see e-commerce today. It was just like products were moving and there's an audience and people were buying products. So that's how I started in, uh, in e-commerce. And a few years after that, I, um, I jumped into Amazon FBA. So um, that was my initial, um, my initial kind of uh, exposure to e-commerce. And then Amazon FBA in 2015 was when I started. Yeah, and since you started, it's been a really big shift in the way that people buy things online, right? Like these crowdfunding platforms haven't been around for, for that long. Like they've gained popularity a, a number of years ago, right? And that just enabled an entirely new business model, so to speak, which they focus on now. So um, tell us about like, maybe just give me a story. One of these big crowdfunding projects that you worked on that 
that broke some records and just really worked. And just break that down for the listeners for us. Sure, man. Yeah. So I got into crowdfunding. And so like I was like, like I said, I was heavily focused on Amazon FBA. Uh, my first product launched at the end of 2015. That product ended up doing really well. Um, I mean, I, I can share about it, but we, we no longer sell it. It's like a, a silicone wedding rings. It's like a really odd category that I found through doing product research. It was doing super well. Um, I, I really like the branding element and making like a good experience for customers. So I remember that these products, like these, these rings were like literally silicone. So literally worth like like five cents, 10 cents type of deal. Uh, but I really heavily invested in packaging. So I, I invested a dollar, I think a dollar, a dollar and 10 cents into the packaging itself. So this packaging had like this pullout insert card. It was like this kind of jewelry box style thing. So anyways, did really well with my first product. And then the next year in 2016, I decided, okay, gonna get really ambitious here. Start launching, launch 12 products this year. And uh, I mean, little did I know I was really, really overconfident, really didn't under cash, understand cash flow that much. And that year was like a terrible year for me. Um, but really what happened was um, Amazon in 2016, I don't know if you remember back then, they, um, they before 2016, they were able to do honest unbiased reviews. At in, Somewhere in the middle of that year, they said, okay, we can't do this anymore. No more honest unbiased reviews. And I had a product in the pipeline that was pretty much going to be like this, this big launch on Amazon. And when I got this notification, pretty much had no idea how we we're going to launch this next product and already placed the order kind of like it was already in the works. So we're starting to kind of panic. So that eventually led me to thinking, OK, well, what are other ways that we can launch this product? And that led me to crowdfunding. So it was kind of like a fluke that this was uh, this became a channel. And this product was a cold brew coffee maker. Uh, I called it the Arctic. And back then, a uh, little bit ahead of the curve in terms of um, kind of the coffee market in Amazon, but um, cold brew is a bit of a new thing. So ended up introducing this through crowdfunding and this proje project did really, really well. And it was, uh, we did about, about 950,000 between Kickstarter, Indiegogo and upsells um, for, for this pre-order launch. So that was my first introduction into, uh, into crowdfunding. And uh, and since then just kind of got really, got really into it to launching my own products. And, and from there, I had a lot of friends or at least at the beginning it was started as friends asking like, Hey, how can you do this? We have this really interesting product we want to launch. And that's kind of what led me down the Kickstarter path. And I still still on Amazon. It's awesome. And, uh, I, you know, I have a Shopify store, but crowdfunding has become this really interesting way to launch products. And the, the common misconception that I get is, uh, people think that Kickstarter or Indiegogo, both crowdfunding platforms are some type of replacement for e-commerce. And it's, or like, a, it's like a new Amazon or like another Walmart platform or something like that. And it's, it's not the case actually. It's actually just the, it's going to be like an addition to our launch strategies that we, that will eventually scale to other platforms afterwards, like Amazon. Yeah. And so this first product, this cold brew coffee that you're launching here, tell us about why you think that that one was successful. Why was that Kickstarter campaign successful? And I'm sure that's probably a little bit different from what you do now because you have all the experience, but this was your first one, right? And like, what do you think that you really did uh, correctly on that first launch? Yeah. So with specifically with this one, it was about really understanding how to present this product to your target audience. And this is something that as an Amazon seller, um, we don't have to think about that much because it's keyword based for the most part. And of course you can make your listing look good. You can, you can make sure you present everything in a nice way, but it's still in the context often with um, people searching that keyword because they're already interested. So with crowdfunding um, and, and this pr product specifically, it was really about how can we understand the, the way of 
presenting this product to the audience that's going to be interested in this. And this wasn't a product that was going to necessarily be interesting to everyone, but it was interesting, uh, we found, to people that cared about uh, cared about having better coffee. So we found this really interesting angle to present this to the audience and saying, hey, you know, if you're interested in having better coffee, this is another interesting way that allows you to create your make your own coffee at home that's going to be better than your like existing coffee. So the idea was really being able to be clear about identifying the um, the archetype we call it of the of of the customer and what's the best way to present this as an as an option for them to be interested. So. Um, there is, of course, that, and my background is in brand development and um, video production, and that was my that was my business before e-commerce. Um, so, uh, creating some really, really high quality, solid assets that people looked at and was like, "Wow, this is really beautiful," and I'm really interested. Uh, that's going to make a big difference as well. So, and for for us back then, investing in high quality assets was kind of like the the norm because we'd come from me and my business partner. We come from this background of creating uh, high quality video, high quality photo assets, and so that was kind of like. Um, is something that we, we we fundamentally knew was important. So we really brought that to creating a really awesome campaign page because at the end of the day, the campaign page for Kickstarter is really what does the selling. So it's equivalent to the product listing page on Amazon. When people look at it, it's like, this is beautiful. I'm really curious. I want to learn more and I want to buy it because it looks super interesting. So um, having that really, really strong campaign page and having uh, a really interesting angle to connect with the target audience is really what we, uh, we did well with that campaign. So. Um, yeah, I think that, that that's how I would summarize it. Yeah, and I think that's a really big difference between Amazon and something like Kickstarter is that you really have the opportunity to tap into those super niche markets and just really speak to them instead of on Amazon, like you're saying, it's just very search based. You're going to type in coffee filter and then whatever shows up on that page is your options that you're potentially going to buy, right? Whereas on Kickstarter, it's it's a little bit more based around really niche things, right? Like people who love coffee. I'm actually in that niche. Like I have this, uh, you know, a V60. I got all these fancy coffee making things in my home. I drink Bulletproof nice. coffee every morning. And so I, I am that customer. So I understand that customer base. And being able to speak to someone like that, you're going to speak to them in a very different way than you're going to speak to the average person on Amazon who's typing in, uh, coffee maker. They just want some home coffee maker who makes cheap, fast coffee, and that's it. It's a completely different customer, right? So would you say that when it comes to a good Kickstarter product, you really need to identify that specific audience that you're talking to, like someone who would really love this, this unique product that you're bringing to you? Is that super important? That's a really good question, and the way that you asked it is really interesting too. Um, I, I think so, yeah. I mean, but there's very, very niche products, and then there's also like lots of general products that do well that are kind of like wider, more like, um, I guess, um, more like interesting to like an, like a larger audience that's not specifically too niche as well. So both can do well, but I think in all situations, I think you you you, you summarized it in a really good way. Like in all situations, you really have to be able to speak to the person that's going to be interested in buying it. So really being able to identify who that person is what how, how you're going to be relating to them in terms of presenting this product in a way that makes them interested when um when, when they see your product so i think that's super important in all situations regardless if it's super niche or a little bit more general you're still going to be able to you're still going to want to be able to connect with them in a way that's um that's appealing for for to, to get them to be interested pretty much yeah that's a, that's a really good point as well um an interesting example that came to mind when you're saying that is the iphone right like when the iphone first launched I don't think anyone really knew how big that was going to be in the in the world, right? 
And you could argue like when it launched, it's a really niche thing. Like people who are into tech and these kind of things would really love the iPhone. But at the end of the day, it was, it's a worldwide market for the iPhone. Like the first smartphone was created and the market was everybody, right? It's not just a very specific exactly. niche of people who need and love the iPhone. It was a gigantic market. Um, so it's a good point. You pointed out the more broad markets, you don't really have to just niche way down on something um, because certain types of products just are more appealing to everybody, right? Exactly. Yeah. So I think there's, there's something there for everyone. And I mean, we've worked with um, products from all the way from like fountain pen inks to like interesting, um, like uh, custom dress shirts that are made from different materials to uh, I mean, I think one of the most interesting ones is this, um, this actually this uh, Szechuan. So there's like this Chinese like chili, chili oil. So this was a really interesting project because it was a, uh, it was from a girl who's a chef and she's never, she's not an e like, she's not in e-commerce. She's never sold anything online. Uh, she, she just had this idea to make this like really cool hot sauce that was developed in China. And it had a really cool story. It was made in a very specific area of China that had a lot of history, but she brought this to Kickstarter and uh, it, she did a really good job at telling the story about how to uh, like what this hot sauce was about. And if you know anything about hot sauces or like buying like hot sauces, like they, if you go to like a Chinese superstore, like supermarket or like a grocery store, these are like a dollar, $2 type of items. She, she sold this hot sauce for like 15 plus now they're like selling for like 15 to $20 for like a, like a jar, I guess. And she ended up raising uh, over $120,000 on, um, on, on Kickstarter. And what that did for her was this built this massive foundation for like a, a foundation of really, really loyal fans and like these people that really supported her brand. And she went on to scale this to um, Amazon. She's doing at least two to 300 on two to 300,000 on Amazon uh, monthly. She's gotten to her own website. Her website, if you check her traffic on similar web, it has over 120,000 visitors every single month. This is literally like, she's selling hot sauce. This is like wow. product that's existed thousands of years. And not only this, because of the Kickstarter success, she's been able to kind of leverage that um, that that result to 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 get investment from very specific types of strategic investors. And then she brought this to uh, Walmart, uh, Costco, and uh, the most the, the the craziest one was a Whole Foods. So she got into Whole Foods with this product as well. So it was just kind of like this thing that allowed her to catapult into launching to other. Um, to, to, to other channels. And so that allowed her to d diversify, not only rely on one channel, but the biggest thing is here, she built like a massive, massive community of people that were just really supportive of her. And I think she's at like over a hundred, like almost a hundred thousand followers last time I checked on, on Instagram. So this is like a hot sauce brand. And you don't, you can't imagine that something like that is super appealing to a lot of people to be interested in. But it's like you said, like some things can be interesting to a small amount of people, but eventually they, they might actually reach a larger audience, but it's about building that community and building people that building an audience of people that really care. So that's something that as Amazon sellers, we don't really do that much and we don't really think about that much. We're starting to think about this more as how to develop a long-term brand and how to, you know, have an aesthetic that is consistent and all those types of things that I'm sure you, you talk a lot about. But I mean, at the end of the day, like we don't really think about what, what we're going to do to be able to build a long-term sustainable brand in the same way that, um, you know, that applying some of these strategies might be helpful for. Yeah, and that's something I want to dive into more with you. I'd love to hear your opinion because a lot of people, they think about Kickstarter as it's a way to launch your invention. Like they see all these really innovative things that obviously people have spent years on product development to create some really innovative products. But then you look at products like 
liquid death, the water, right? You'd make water in a can and then you charge people 50 or 100 times the price of regular water. And it's really not that different, but they've just done an amazing job of capturing a market segment of people who want to drink the most high quality water ever, right? And uh, I don't know how well they're doing, but they're clearly doing fairly well because they're paying for a lot of high, um, high price, high profile advertisements all over the place. So um, what would you say about the, the brand? Like how, how important is it to have a really amazing, innovative invention versus just having an awesome brand that just really speaks to, uh, speaks to a customer base? Yeah, this is a great question, man. Um, when Kickstarter started, it started with the premise that you described. So it really started as like, really interesting, innovative things that never existed before. A lot of really cool products. I think Oculus was launched on Kickstarter, um, the Pebble watch, if you remember that, uh, that smart watch, um, all those are really interesting kind of like really, really unique products were, uh, were originated from Kickstarter. So this is how it started back, who knows, maybe like 15 years ago. But, um, since then Kickstarter has changed a lot because e-commerce evolved a lot. Kickstarter has now evolved into more of, um, uh, you can think of it as more of a pre-order platform. So pre-orders for people wanting to release a product that um, that don't want to incur the risk of um, having to purchase the inventory first. So this can be done by uh, new companies. So if you actually really, really need funding and you can't launch the product without it, this is an awesome way to do it. But we're finding that a lot of actually big brands or like larger brands that actually are well-funded or that have the cash still go about this way because it's... Um, I would describe it as like a net, um, you know, in a game when you make a decision and it's like it, regardless of the, the, the outcome or the circumstance, that's always the best decision. That's how I would see Kickstarter now, because uh, it, the main thing for a lot of sellers, especially for Amazon sellers that are scaling or that are thinking about scaling or in the process of being limited about scaling, we know that cash flow is the biggest issue and launch risk is a big thing. So um, really, Kickstarter allows you to address both these things because not only do you not have to order inventory, all you really need to launch your campaign is you need to have this campaign page. So your product listing page. So you, you invest money into all the things that you would have invested into launching your Amazon um, product listing page, which is your photo assets, video, uh, good quality copy, and although some people might argue that uh, you know video is not necessary, I think I would disagree. I think video is really, really much necessary. You'll just likely invest in a little bit higher quality video for, for Kickstarter. But all the things that you would need to invest into launching on Amazon, you would invest in anyway. So you prepare this for Kickstarter, you have this available, but the only thing that you don't need is you don't need inventory. So that means you can launch, you can have this campaign, um, go live, you can get the funding, and then you get paid by Kickstarter 15 days after the campaign closes. And after that, you have um, you essentially have the cash to be able to place the order for the inventory. So this puts you ahead in terms of cash flow. So this is a very, very advantageous type of position to be in when it comes to um, starting your brand, but also it allows you to kind of be ahead in terms of cash flow to start investing in inventory and have extra cash to decide what you want to do with that. So a uh, huge advantage for um, new brands, but also like big brands as well. And so uh, to answer your original question, it doesn't need to be for really innovative products at all. Um, you know, we've seen things like travel packing queues, which is a really popular um, um, category on, um, on Amazon, uh, all sorts of apparel, um, interesting apparel that's not super innovative, but just well-branded, um, just lots of things that you'll see as, uh, as common categories. They just do a really good job at building an audience and building a community and, um, and, uh, and, and using that as a way to launch. Yeah, and hedging risk is so huge when it comes to e-commerce as well, right? It's completely worth it to 
take a hit on your profit margins for that first shipment to cut down on some of that inventory risk. That's, that's the biggest risk in these e-commerce businesses is you spend thousands and thousands of dollars on this inventory and then something goes wrong and then you're stuck with a bunch of unsellable inventory or you, you're not selling it as fast as you thought it would be or just the fact that the cash flow is tied up for typically 45 to 90 days until you actually sell through that inventory and you know get it manufactured and then get paid for it, right? That's a, we have long cash flow cycles. And it's a really important lesson we can look at from event organizers. I think that has a lot of parallels. Event organizers go bankrupt much more often than most types of businesses, right? Because they have to put up all the expenses up front or at least most of the expenses up front to hopefully then sell enough tickets for their event. And every event organizer, big or small, all the way up to the biggest music festivals down to small local event coordinators, they all have early bird pricing for the tickets because they understand they need to hedge their risk. They're willing to take a smaller profit margin to ensure they're going to sell enough tickets to cover their costs, right? That's like the oldest trick in the book for event organizers. And I think people in e-commerce should definitely be considering that as well because it's a very common way for e-commerce businesses to go bankrupt is to not manage the cash flow well enough. And this is a clear, easy way to... Uh, to do that for new product launches, right? Exactly. And actually, the, the cost is not higher. Um, the cost is actually the, the same. So you, you'd invest in all the assets you need to launch the same way you do launch on Amazon or Shopify. And uh, the only difference is you don't put out the cash for the inventory. So you're essentially able to, to go through the launch and get the, get the feedback. Uh, even the fees are less on Kickstarter. So the Kickstarter fees are 5% for the platform and 3% payment processing. So 8% uh, on that amount sold. So yes, you have to pay the platform, but that's lower than, uh, I mean, that's, that's definitely lower than Amazon, at least in the categories that I sell in. So um, yeah, it's actually a, it's, it's a huge advantage to do this. And then once you're able to do this, then, um, then you take all the assets and everything you've already created and put it over to Shopify or put it over to Amazon. And, and then you'll have your first order and then you might have a little bit of extra cash for ordering a little bit more. So you're not behind on inventory. So like you said, um, just a huge advantage to hedge risk in this way. And um, I mean, there's not much of a disadvantage to, to doing it this way. So it's, uh, it's one of those like win-win type of strategies. And I'd love to talk now about the perfect Kickstarter launch. And I always like to hear it in terms of an actual example. So th is there an actual example that you can think of um, that you can walk us through like a perfect Kickstarter launch where they just did everything perfectly and like what were the components that really led to the success of the campaign? Cool. Um, so, I mean, I can think of a few, but I'll, I'll, I'll tell the story of one specific one and I'll kind of identify the components with this and, um, and this will give us an idea of what's important for a Kickstarter launch. So uh, the, the one that comes to mind is a, uh, a, a brand that we worked with. They were called Refer. And they were, it was an interesting brand because they, they did makeup brushes from Japan. Uh, but they were like, th they're three guys. They're like three engineers <laughs> that are just <laughs> like, okay, we're going to launch a makeup brush brand. And these guys, they knew they wanted to, they knew they wanted to launch in a way that was different than traditional e-commerce like Shopify or Amazon. 
and uh, they didn't know exactly how to do it. We got in touch with them and we suggested to, um, to, to, to go through a Kickstarter launch with this. And these guys were super for it because they wanted to really be able to price their product in a, in a way that was super premium and start building kind of foundations for a solid brand. So the first most important element of a Kickstarter launch and the, the, the biggest reason why people fail is that they don't build an audience or a community. So the community is gonna be the biggest element that allows you to be successful regardless of ad spend later, regardless of how good the campaign looks and all that stuff. So these guys put a lot of effort into um, what we call community development. So they built a massive audience of people that were interested in them. They focused a lot on influencers. So in general, there's two categories of people you can focus on when it comes to building your community. The first one is, um, uh, is community members. So people that are actually um, potentially gonna be purchasing your product. So we call them IFCs, so ideal future customers or the second category is influencers. So these are people that can either drive traffic to your, your campaign or your brand or get credibility from, um, from, from just being associated with them. So these guys heavily, 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 heavily focused on influencers and they built a massive network of influencers um, for, for their Kickstarter launch. So uh, when, the, when it finally came to uh, launching the campaign, they had all of this traffic ready and all these people ready to support them and, and, and essentially ready to uh, drive traffic and drive kind of uh, their audience to the campaign. So um, from there, um, so that was the biggest thing. They did a really good job with preparing um, the actual assets. So they, they invested in high quality photos, they invested in high quality video production. Um, the stuff, if you look at their photos, it looks like it's, um, you know, it belongs in uh, Sephora or, you know, one of those nice, um, you know, beauty companies like magazines. So they, they invested heavily in making sure that their um, their assets look beautiful and uh, so those are the two main categories of things when it comes to preparing for the campaign is making sure you have your community uh, built regardless if it's like your ideal future customers or your your influencers but also making sure that you create the um you create the campaign page using really really good high quality assets so these guys launched um, they did such a good job most of their traffic was actually from from their influencers uh, they ended up with about 500,000 raised uh, on the on the launch, and these guys were just like they were guys. They're they're dudes. They weren't uh, you know they weren't really experienced in the the makeup world. But what they did well was they really understood the process of really having to build an audience, build a community, and using that to um, to, to to launch your campaign. So um, yeah, that's so important these days. And there there's an interesting trend too that's happening with influencers in general. Um, it's fascinating. I heard it was Logan Paul was talking about this on his podcast the other day about how the old guard of, you know, quote unquote, influencers, you know, actors and music artists and everything like that. They're famous people and they made money on making their mu music and making their movies. And then they would get like brand deals. They'd do like a commercial for, you know, Rolex or something. They get paid. Um, we see a trend starting now with the biggest YouTubers starting to kind of get parody with the level of fame and money as the Hollywood actors and those kind of things. But what they're doing differently is they are either launching their own brands or they have equity in the brands that they're promoting, right? Which is much, much more valuable because they can promote those brands through their own content, right? Because the movie stars, the movie stars can't promote their other side products in the movies without actually paying for that placement, right? They don't own the medium, but today's influencers have much, much more to gain by promoting products that they have equity in. So that's a um, wildly successful strategy we've seen some of the top influencers do over recent years that uh, might be something worth considering for people. 
Yeah, for sure. So yeah, these guys executed that to a T. They got, um, I mean, it, it, was, it goes deeper, but they involved the influencers in the process of creating the product. But uh, yeah, at the end of the day, they did really well. A successful campaign launch, and they ended up getting into Sephora, actually. They got into the, uh, I don't know if you know Sephora. It's like a, it's, it's a. It's All the like women that, listening like, will know it, or the men <laughs> who wait outside of the store while their wives <laughs> exactly, are yeah. shopping. It's like, it's the, it's the store in the mall that the men just stand outside when their girlfriends are shopping inside. It's a really massive brand. So they got into Sephora, they got into all these beauty magazines, uh, ended up, they're, they're still doing really well with this brand. They're launching um, uh, lots of new products every quarter. So um, that was the foundation for, for their whole e-commerce strategy was um, to be able to, um, to, to be able to build that initial audience. So really, really well done with that brand. And so the, the important thing to recognize is the, the Kickstarter campaign is not the main event. Uh, it is a event, but the main event is what happens after. So you really have to be able to take the success of your campaign and decide, okay, well, am I going to launch this on Amazon? Uh, am I going to scale this on my own website? And what's the best way for me to turn this into, like turn the success of the Kickstarter into something that's going to be sustainable? So you'll still need to do all the things that we're learning from you, know, from you and uh, from you know whatever it is that we're studying, if it's if it's Amazon, uh, we want to be able to make sure that we're still executing that afterwards. And Kickstarter just gives us a bit of a leg up when it comes to being able to set ourselves up for success afterwards. And what about the offer? I know a lot of people they think about Kickstarter and they say, okay, like I just have to offer my product at a giant discount, and that's the only way I can work on Kickstarter. But I know there's some creative ways, some creative perks that you can give to your backers on Kickstarter and things. Um, so can you talk about some of the the things that work the best when it comes to your actual offer on Kickstarter? Sure, yeah, so um, great question, man. Um, so discount is definitely something that is, um, it's generally a good idea, so some type of discount. The discount itself, uh, I, I mean, there's a lot of talk about, yeah, at least 50% or like at least this percentage. I think that's not the biggest deal. The biggest deal is to show value in the the full the full price of your product. So people have to value the, the product itself. So as long as you make it so that people feel like this is worth what it's worth and you give a discount from that, that's that's okay. So, but I guess what you're asking about is, is there any type of interesting things that you could offer that will make this more appealing? So for uh, one of the things that we did with our most recent launch, um, so we we created these coffee glasses. Um, they're, um, they're smell and taste enhancing coffee glasses. It, can, it sounds kind of like a woo-woo, but it actually works. Um, we, we developed this with some of the top coffee experts in the world. So it's a coffee glass that makes your coffee smell and taste better developed using the similar kind of like principles as wine glasses and whiskey, whiskey snifters. So we launched this product and um, we, what we did was we actually created a, we, we couldn't give a massive discount because actually like it, it didn't really work with us in terms of um, profitability. So what we did was we upped the value of the offering in Kickstarter by adding um, what we created. We, we called it a coffee adventure masterclass. So it's kind of like a, a handful of videos that train people to, um, to get better at coffee, uh, get better at tasting coffee, tasting the notes in coffee and uh, how to prepare coffee in a way that's going to be most effective to, to, to drink it. So it was a value add. At the same time, it kind of reinforced different elements of what we wanted to, to we wanted to promote with our brand, but that allowed us to up the value of the um, you know, the MSRP value of what we're offering to a much higher value. And then the discount from that was actually a little bit. Um, it wasn't. Uh, it was a big discount, but it was mostly a discount off the, um, the the soft part of our product that didn't really cost anything, which was like our our masterclass. So um, that's that's an interesting way. So doing things like that. Um, some brands like to do. Um, 
you know, they, they like to uh, encourage the backers or like to put them on their website or um, they like to offer like maybe swag or like stickers and things like that. Like whatever it is that you can kind of come up that come up with that's relevant to how you want to present your brand. There's lots of interesting ways to make the va value of what you're offering uh, higher so that when you discount it, it's, you're actually not taking a massive hit on your on your profit margins. Yeah, it's a really good creative way. And do you think it's also a good idea to add multiple tiers? Like I know a lot of people, they add in um, things that are less scalable and more valuable for, you know, if, you, if you're going to pay double the price and you get, uh, you know, you go on a date with the founder or something, something, something <laughs> crazy like that, right? That's probably a bad example unless you're the founder's like a celebrity or something like that. But um, you think it's good to offer some of those higher tiers at maybe a maybe like 10 of them or five of them or something like that? Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Um, so there's a there's a few brands that we've worked with that do um, that have developed really cool kind of like eco initiatives. Um, and one of the brands that actually based in Bali, uh, you might have heard of these guys, Pang Pangea. Um, they they offered one of their higher tier um, packages was like to be able to to visit Bali and get a tour of all the eco initiatives that they're working on. So there's lots of cool stuff like that that you can use to um, to encourage um, you know encourage funding and pledges from people that really care more about the brand. Um, so those are really good ideas. But in general, when it comes to pricing strategy, uh, what I really like to do is um, we, we really like to, at that point of purchase, just to, to really create a strong bundle for like the two or three sets. So if we're just selling one set, it's going to be $49, maybe a three set for like uh, $99. Just make it really, really worthwhile. If your margins are still there and actually the, the net profit is higher on the three set, we do a really good, we, we make sure our pricing strategy is really in line to encouraging like the two set or the three set so that you, you actually get more net um, Net, net profit in your, in your hands and more cash in your hands, rather than just um, trying to make higher profit margins, um, you actually get more cash from when somebody's really excited and they want to purchase. So um, we, we like to really push towards like the two or three sets when it comes to, um, to, to encouraging like higher, higher average order value, essentially. Yeah, that's, and that's such an easy hack that applies to all of e-commerce too. Like I forget who was saying it. Um, I think it was Russell Brunson really pushes this. The best upsell is more of what they're already buying right it's the easiest upsells like it do you want a second one do you want a third one right it's so easy like it's they obviously want what they're buying already it's easy to sell mm -hmm. them a second one even if it's something that they only need one maybe they need one for their wife or they're gonna buy a you know present for for somebody for christmas coming up soon right it's a it's an easy sell to just up the quantity of whatever you're doing yet it doesn't take any work Exactly. I mean, just coming up with a pricing structure, that's important to make sure you're still profitable and it's actually a better decision for, for you at the end of the day. But as, as long as you have the numbers right, um, just going in that direction really makes a big difference. And you're getting them at a time where they're like excited. So that's like the best time to, to, to get them to buy more when they're, they're pumped about this purchase, right? So um, yeah, that's a really good point. So I think um, incorporating that into the strategy makes a big difference and make sure that you get, you get more profit and more cash as well. And another thing I want to talk about is I know that you you work with a lot of people who are doing their first Kickstarter launch. I'm wondering if there's anything that very commonly comes up as a mistake that you you catch people almost always trying to do, right? I know in Amazon there's plenty of these mistakes that beginners always kind of run into the same corners um, just naturally, right? Is there anything like that in Kickstarter where people commonly try to go down the wrong path that you would you'd steer them away from? That's a good question. I think there's a few. Uh, I think one of the first ones is people um, think that they can develop and work on the product entirely and the branding and the marketing, all of this kind of stuff to essentially develop the entire product in the campaign, like behind closed doors 
and release it when they feel ready. Uh, that this is like an issue in, in all types of businesses as well, but where you just like the founders get really pumped about what they're doing and then they just they just do it all themselves and they don't get feedback at any point in the process to realize, hey, is what I'm building really something that people want? And it's the way that I'm presenting it and marketing or wanting to market it the way that people want to see it. So uh, I think getting feedback is extremely important. And most people that are that are kind of starting out and feel like they 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 don't want to release anything or get feedback until it's ready. That's kind of a, I think that's a, that's a big mistake. And this could apply to, um, you know, this is equivalent to just having a good product idea for Amazon and just like without doing research, without under, like, just like deciding that you're going to go develop the product and then just, just launch it. So um, that's, that's a huge, that's a huge error that I see when it comes to people um, in the process of launching a product. But I think the, the biggest common uh, mistake that causes projects to be fail is that people don't build, an audience or a community. Uh, we like to call it community. Uh, most people in e-commerce like to call it a list. Uh, but we, we, the idea of um, having an audience that's involved in the product development all the way from the beginning uh, is really valuable because these people feel really invested in what you're doing as a brand. They, they become more loyal to you. They feel excited that, um, that they're almost like a part of this thing that's happening. So building a community and, and launching with this community is gonna make a big difference in, um, in, in the success. If you don't have this, you're gonna really suffer because people either don't know who you are, you don't have enough momentum at the beginning, uh, but that's that's really important to make sure that you you build an audience and build a community that cares about what you're doing before the actual launch itself. And what would you recommend would be the best way to build one of these communities? Obviously, there's so many ways to do it, right? There's like email lists, there's Reddit, there's Facebook groups, there's all these ways to do it. And at the end of the day, limited resources. And some of the ways are more conducive to community than others. If you only build an email list, that's just kind of a unidirectional channel where you're talking at people. It doesn't really give the opportunity for collaboration or social proof of other people also interacting, right? What, what would you recommend if, if someone really had to focus on one place to build a community or just you know a, a small network of different places like email or Facebook? Sure. Yeah, that's a good question, man. Um, so I think at the core, email is still king. Uh, having an email list that's strong, that opens your emails, that cares what you're doing is really important. So fundamentally, if you do nothing else, you should build an email list. But um, what's extremely complimentary, and there's lots of ways to kind of get people between your different mediums. So essentially what we're describing is different mediums where you interact with your audience, right? So um, there's social media accounts, there's Facebook groups, whatever it might be. We really like Facebook groups because Facebook groups allow for um, what we call many-to-many -many interactions. So instead of what you said, like um, with email lists are unidirectional. So it's like one to many. So I can broadcast an email to 10,000 people. They all get it, but it, it's always coming from me. What we like about Facebook's, uh, Facebook groups is that if you build a strong community, people start interacting with each other. People start posting things like, hey, um, you know, I, I found this interesting way to make coffee. Does anybody try this? And then other people are responding and other people are posting stuff that's of value. And when that happens, it, it almost takes work off you, but it still establishes this interesting community dynamic that allows people to interact with each other. So we really like being able to create a, a community within Facebook groups or an equivalent that is relevant to your target audience to, um, to allow for many to many interactions where your audience can interact with each other. And that's what creates a real community because people are able to participate, they're able to get feedback, they're able to help each other. And this is something that is, um, is really, really valuable in a way that's, um, that you can't really buy this. Like you can, you can add more people to a mailing list, but you can't really buy creating a community where people are getting value from each other and feeling like they want to be compelled to contribute to other people in this community because they, because they want to. So uh, if I were to recommend two, um, I would say uh, email list for sure. 
and then uh, and then Facebook group. Yeah, and would you say that that building your own Facebook group would be important, or posting in other people's Facebook groups? Um, building your own would be the absolute ideal because what you're going to do with this is eventually you're going to use this as a way to um, to promote your launch. Uh, if you're launching product two, product three, product four, you you might be able to use this group to support you in product ideation, um, validation in different types of ways. Like there's lots of things that you can do with that. Um, but posting in other groups is uh, is is a great way to actually um, start engaging and start building uh, interest and potentially inviting those people to your own group as well. So you you can use uh, engaging in groups as a way to um, uh, to tap into people that are interested in your product category or product niche. Yeah, that's a great point. And I would also add that Reddit can be a really good place to solicit feedback about products. Um, there's something special about Reddit. I think the big difference between Reddit and Facebook is that Reddit is anonymous, right? People on Reddit will brutally give honest feedback because they don't have their profile picture and name attached to what they're saying. So if your product sucks, they'll tell you exactly what sucks about it and why they're never gonna buy it. So you can change it and actually you know, get some really good feedback about your product. There's a subreddit for almost anything you can think of. So if you, you know, as long as you can post into subreddit in a way that follows the subreddit rules and it's not promotional and things like that, you can get some really good feedback from your potential target customers. For sure, yeah. Reddit is awesome. So, I mean, depending on your niche, you're going to find certain channels or certain mediums more 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 relevant. So, uh, it's it's up to you to kind of feel like if, you know if your audience is super 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 young and they're you know they they love uh, you know they, they love like like quick uh, media content, you might be looking to build an audience um, in, in different ways, maybe through TikTok or something like that. Um, it depends, again, so it's just consider your niche, consider your audience and who they are, and understanding your audience will allow you to identify the best way to start connecting with them in a medium that makes sense for you. Oh, absolutely. And then I think, I think the final piece for people here would be like, what kind of time frame should people plan for their launch like let's say they have no audience whatsoever and they have to start from scratch building the audience building the campaign with you know the video and the page and everything and then launching that campaign what kind of timeline should people really be planning sure yeah that's a great question so this is going to be dependent on um how a few things but one of them is going to be your campaign goal so if you have a really aggressive campaign goal let's say you want to raise let's say you really want to raise like 200,000 or 500,000, you're going to need a, a bigger community before you can launch. So uh, the bigger the bigger your goal, the bigger the community that you need before you launch. And so that's really, um, when it comes to our approach, the way that we choose to launch, uh, we go really deep into community development. But the, the idea is that um, you want to make sure that you're not launch you're not launching until you know that your community is ready and they're ready to support. So you're not going to launch and see a failure. So um, so if you're going to have a really big goal, you're going to make sure you want to allocate more time for community development to to grow uh, grow a larger community. So, um, I mean, at the minimum, I would say allocating two two months, three months to community development is going to be um, it's going to be important. Um, a lot of people uh, when they're developing their product this is going to be a whole, whole other thing. So if you're creating something interesting or you're doing modifications or like a you know private label modification type of product, um, that's something that could take honestly like several months. Like sometimes it could take like a couple months to like half a year or even a year. So during that time that you're developing the product, people think that they have to have the product first before they start developing the community. And that's simply not true. Actually, it's, an, it's very, very favorable to 
start developing your community as you develop the product because you can involve you can involve them in the process of um of seeing you develop the product which is really interesting to kind of get that behind the scenes look so any anyway, the point of me bringing this up is that um, community development can actually be embedded into your 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 timeline for as you're developing the product so um as 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 early as you're you're ready to develop your product you can start developing your community so that can actually save you a lot of time so that you're not thinking product development first and then community development afterwards so uh bigger community or bigger goal, you might want to allocate more time to, uh, you know, even more months to your, um, your, your, um, your community development. And then on top of that, um, the actual preparation for the creative assets, that's, um, that's something that, you know, if you're selling on Amazon, you're familiar with what that would take. I would just, I would take a kind of look, look at it saying, hey, let's, let's incorporate this into a part of our, um, you know, uh, a part of our timeline as well. So this isn't like a, this isn't product development, community development, um, developing your creative assets, you can incorporate this into the, um, the, the time where you're developing your um, your community or also developing your products as well. So that generally is depending on who you're working with, if you're how much you're doing yourself or how involved you are, if you're just outsourcing the whole thing, generally less than a month is um, is um, is enough for that. So you can kind of slot that into um, the rest of your, um, your the rest of your kind of uh, uh, preparation for for making sure the product community is ready. Yeah, and one point I'd like to make too is um, you got to look at your own marketing skill set because that's a huge part of this, right? Building that community, building an email list, a Facebook group and those things. Uh, I talked to lots of Amazon sellers who have literally zero marketing background. And for someone like that, it's going to take probably longer to build up that audience than someone who has been a marketer for 10 years and they just can bing bada boom to start building a list like it's, like it's breakfast, right? So really you got to take that into account. Two months would be someone who knows how to market and is probably putting effort into marketing on a consistent basis. Whereas someone who has to learn how to do marketing and then do the marketing, it's probably going to take a little bit longer, right? For sure. Yeah. Um, and then the last, last thing I'd like to talk about here is, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds to me like Kickstarter and Amazon are very different in the way that people on Amazon are on Amazon and they're searching for the products. Whereas people on Kickstarter are generally not searching Kickstarter to find other products to invest in, right? You're bringing your audience to then make the purchase on Kickstarter. Does that sound accurate to you? It generally starts that way. So in, in the past, um, it was when there was very, very few projects on the platform and there was a really passionate audience within Kickstarter user base, uh, people would actually very, very, like you can very quickly browse through the projects and see if, if there's something you're interested in. Now, because there's so many projects on, on Kickstarter, that's not really, that's not what you really, what you can expect for, uh, for, for the results. So at the beginning of the, uh, at the beginning of your launch, you're going to bring most of your audience to the campaign to kind of kickstart the Kickstarter algorithm. So you're, you're going to, you're, you're bringing your audience to try to hit your campaign goal. We, we usually aim for within the first 24 to 48 hours. That's when we want to hit our campaign goal. So we set an outward goal of, let's say $10,000, $20,000. And really we want to raise $300,000, but we set that lower goal because we want to hit that within the first 24 to 48 hours. So once that happens, um, Kickstarter starts prioritizing. It's it's almost like a, a a bit of a ranking algorithm, just like you would have on uh, on Amazon. So um, once we have that, then it starts to rank organically on the platform. It starts to get attention from the from from Kickstarter, and if if it does well, you might get starting to get featured in certain elements of um with the within the Kickstarter platform. So you might get featured on certain pages. You might get an email blast. Um, and Kickstarter really has a passionate audience. So if you get into one of those and you start ranking more um, more highly within their platform, then you start to get a, 
a lot more attention that can help you with the organic traffic as well. So um, at the beginning, you're going to see a lot of bringing your own audience to it. And later on, uh, as long as your campaign is performing, you're going to start to see a lot more. Um, you're going to see a lot more um, kind of involvement or organic uh, organic traffic from from Kickstarter. And uh, and of course, there's, you're going to be running ads as well. You're going to be experimenting with running ads, and that's going to be another way for you to get direct feedback on whether or not ads are working and if you can scale ads. And um, and, and often for for products that are appealing, ads are an awesome way to kind of scale. And as long as you're seeing profitability, you can continue to scale into ads to make sure that. Um, you're, you're profiting off every every unit sold. Yeah, in today's world of algorithms, how algorithms run just about everything, success definitely breeds more success, it seems. <laughs> We're moving towards a winner. The winners become bigger winners, which is, uh, you know, takes momentum, but it's, uh, it's definitely a different game than, uh, than retail and those things. Hey guys, Danny jumping in here after the conversation with Vince. I was so impressed during our conversation that after this call finished, I actually convinced him to put together a special workshop just for you guys. It's a one-off live workshop going into Kickstarter launches specifically for Amazon sellers. I'll be there, Vance will be there, and we're encouraging interaction from you guys as well. It's meant to be a, a live workshop. I want to make it clear, this is not going to be a sales pitch loaded workshop. Everyone's going to walk away with super valuable strategies they can implement themselves to make their own six-figure Kickstarter launch. So if you guys want to sign up for that, go to KenjiROI.com slash Kickstarter. And that's going to be happening in about one week. So make sure you sign up soon. Um, it's only going to be live and only going to be once. So head over to KenjiROI.com slash Kickstarter. This has been a really insightful conversation, Vance. If people want to reach out to you or learn more about what you're doing, where's the best place for them to do so? Um, yeah, you can check out my website, uh, Live My Playground. So L-I-V-E-M-Y Playground, uh, Playground, like the play, Playground and Play Outside on, uh, .com. And um, we're having an interesting uh, launch of our um, lab, which is our, our essentially our accelerator program. Um, so feel free to check out check that out if you're interested in the pre-order launch model and see if that's something that um that might be appealing to you to launch your next product on awesome man well it's been a pleasure having you on here and let me know if you come back to bali at any point soon we'll uh, grab a coffee let's do it man excited i hope to be back soon actually <laughs> i'm looking forward to it heck yeah vance and for everyone listening we'll put the show notes as always at kenjiroy.com blog including the links that vance just mentioned there if you want to reach out to him um, definitely recommend if you are looking to launch some new products with this model. I think it makes a lot of sense in e-commerce. So until next time, guys, go out there, make some sales, and we'll see you on the next episode. For show notes and resources mentioned in this episode, visit KenjiROI.com.